The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today, it's Derek Van Riper of The Athletic. And Derek, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Hey, thanks for inviting me on the show, Nick. I'm glad you find me interesting enough to talk to me in this format. Stop it, Derek. I mean, look, before we even recorded this, you know, we were talking about uh, Folgers and the terrible commercials that they have. And this is, yes, what I drink in the morning. And you don't, you called it actually a morning beer, which I kind of liked. And uh, is there a specific morning beer that you're into these days? Yeah, so there's a, a roaster that's probably 40 miles away from where I live. It's a bunch of teachers that started uh, roasting coffee and mm-hmm. they have a, a blend called Bump and Grind and it's a little bit lighter and more acidic so definitely not as, as dark and uh, kind of Folgers is like right down the middle of the road. Like if you go to any diner in America, just a basic roadside diner in the middle of nowhere, right, yeah. you'll get a coffee that probably tastes like Folgers. This is very sure. different. It's a different color, different texture, different taste, different everything. Um, I just like trying different stuff because mm-hmm. you can do a lot more with coffee than I thought when I first started drinking it. When I first started drinking coffee, I thought it all is like Folgers. I got to dump all my flavors into it. and I got to make it taste like a candy bar to get it down. But I realized there are great flavor profiles out there if you know where to look. Oh, man. Yeah. I, it's just so easy. It cost me 25 bucks for like two years to get four tubs of 40 ounce of Folgers. It's 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 fine. It gets the job done. It's quick. Just put it in. I don't need to grind any beans or anything. I know. I need to I need to expand my horizons. I'm so sorry. Anyone that is now insulted and doesn't want to listen to this podcast because I drink Folgers, understandable. <laughs> uh, but this isn't about me and my terrible drinking habits. No. We're here to learn about you, Derek. And I think a good place to start is why don't you tell everybody your resume uh, inside the industry? Yeah, so I started at Rotowire in two thousand and five. The company had oh, moved wow. yeah, they moved from Los Angeles to Madison, Wisconsin that summer, and I was going to be a senior at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I was a comm arts major, failed to get into the journalism school multiple times. We have a a strange journalism school at the University of Wisconsin. It's unusually small, um, Hmm. which, you know, whatever. I I ended up getting a job that I really like, and I got out of school one year faster by not getting in, so it was probably a blessing in disguise to be a two-time J school reject at the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, but Rotowire had just moved the entire company from the West Coast to Madison. They were looking for interns, anybody interested in any fantasy sports at all. It didn't matter if you loved baseball, football, basketball, hockey. They covered all of them. Uh, they wanted people who could do just about anything. If you could mm-hmm. write player notes, if you could help with articles, if you could answer customer service emails, 
any and all of those things is what they wanted to get some help with because they were at the time probably seven or eight full timers. I mean, they were a very small operation then. Uh, they've kind of exploded, of course, in the 15 plus years uh, since I first started there. And my time there, I mean, I, I got to do a lot of different things. I covered all of those major sports that I mentioned. You know, I was an editor covering day to day news for. Uh, three three of those sports, I think, at, at some point. I think baseball and hockey for sure. I think maybe even basketball temporarily. I uh, wrote articles all the time. And it was great because as the industry grew, those opportunities to try new things like Sirius XM Fantasy, like that became something that existed in 2010, I want to say. That gave me a chance to go on the radio, which I'd never done before. I didn't, I didn't work at the student oh, radio station in college. You know, I didn't have a three a.m. show that my friends were calling into, where I was uncorking <laughs> all my hot takes about Wisconsin football and basketball at the time. Well, it would have been horrible. Like the, well, the archives so would have been that. horrible. Yeah, I mean, there's so much of that. I mean, one, first of all, I'm I'm surprised it took so long for all of us to be blessed with your voice, which is, I gotta say, one of the the, the elites, one of the, the the legends of the industry. It, your voice is just like I don't know what to what, how to phrase it. It's it's just soothing. It's complete, just soothing. All the time, and I kind of wish you had that college radio show just for that, so people could be <laughs> blessed with it. And also, I can't even imagine you—I don't know—having that kind of giant, angry rant about something like in Madison Sports. You're such a wonderful, calming presence in this way, and you're—you do such a good job of, you know, understanding, being the rational viewer um, to a lot of these excellent analysts. And then at times, then you can step in and take that—that. That, uh, their role as well so i i can't i i don't really know like a time that i've listened to you and thought oh yeah this is a this is a Derek rant my god <laughs> you know that that's just not you so i i'm surprised it took you so long uh, to get into it honestly you know i think i'm pretty lucky that I, I worked with people who are very thoughtful who don't explode with hot takes all the time they showed me the way they sure. taught me to be very careful with the types of things that i want to put out there and and had I had I interned somewhere where the scripted debate shouting matches were the the way of the world, I could have just as easily fallen into that trap. I, I think that was kind of new back when I started getting into this, and right, it's, yeah. it's sad, right? It's one of those things that I think most of us who are true fans of these sports, baseball, everything beyond, I think we look at mainstream shows sometimes. We're we're just like this is so stupid like this is not for anybody this is what the, the explosion of podcasting is so great for the true sports fan because you can find the voices that resonate more with you like if, right, if yep. you if you tune into espn i'm not criticizing i'm working at the athletic now i'm not criticizing espn because they're a competitor but if you tune into an espn debate show any weekday morning it's like one one thousandth of the content that you could talk about just recycled on a loop day after day after day. It's so predictable. I'm just grateful that we all have more choices, that I can be one of those choices and do things my way. And I'm just glad that that's, that's worked for so many people. I, you know, I, I think one of the nicest things you can get is a genuine compliment from a peer. Like it, you, you know this. Like when, when someone tells you you've built something that they really enjoy or you've made a show that they really like or it, it could be literally anything. It could be something really small it means the world to you. It means oh, yeah. so much more than almost anything else in the world. And I, I'm just grateful that 
where we started was this an industry that was really small and it didn't have a lot of opportunities for people. And I think just because of the general growth and trajectory of how people consume content, we have so many new ways to listen to each other, to read each other, and to break through and, and really showcase all the great talent that has emerged over the, the last 15 years. Oh, man. I mean, you've seen it, of course, yeah, better than anyone uh, starting in 2005. And you've obviously, as you mentioned, uh, been a part of those different things. I mean, look, I see you now The Athletic doing uh, YouTube shows and, and live stuff as well now. And you've you've certainly made the, the backdrop that I need to replicate in some way. I just have these black and blue panels, maybe like two <laughs> things. And, and you have 20 amazing items that really are a piece of you. Uh, and I, I do want to go into that in a moment. But first, I have a very important question. Um if you were to rant about something that that just you know is like okay I need to I need to let this out and it could be something about a sports thing that just doesn't make sense to you is there inside you that one question that so everyone's been asking like Derek how do you feel about this one thing I am vehemently opposed to reclining your seat on an airplane if there's someone <laughs> behind you I am I'm of six course two. you are. I love this. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm six two. I'm not tall, tall, but I'm probably a little taller than the average person. And I think even an average height person is uncomfortable on an airplane. Like, right. No one likes flying. Or right? if you're five four and a hundred pounds, maybe you don't mind it because you don't feel as squished as most people. But generally, flying is an uncomfortable experience. I don't fly sure. first class. I don't have that kind of money. I probably never will, and that's fine. When I get on a plane. And I pop up my little tray table once the plane takes off and I get my laptop out to watch a movie, you know, maybe browse the Internet just to help pass the time within 20 minutes of me doing that without fail. Doesn't matter who is in front of me. It could be a child. It could be an old man. It could be literally anyone. I'm always behind the person who just cranks back and reclines into my space. And I get it. You paid money. Your seat reclines. You want to use the functionality of the seat you paid for. It just bothers me because I think it's like a reflection of some of society's bigger problems of just not being good at thinking about how our actions impact the people around us. Sure. You know, and I just, I, I'm sorry if you're, Nick, if you're the kind of person. I, I am not a recliner. I'm, I'm exactly with you here. Uh, th- th- this is a great, great thing to feel passionate about. And you want to rant it out. I love this so much, Derek. It feels so rude to me. Like I would never do that <laughs> yes. to a person. I, I, I've tried to think about it. I'm like, in what circumstances would I do that? If I were on a plane and I felt awful, like if I felt just horrible, and the only way I could feel a little better just to get through the flight was to recline, maybe I would do it. But then, before I did it, Nick, I would turn to the person behind me and say, hey, just want to make sure you don't have anything on your table like a hot cup of coffee or a laptop. I was going to recline my seat if that would be okay. And if the person is like me and they're like, yeah, I'd rather you didn't, I probably still wouldn't do it. I don't know if that's a Midwest polite thing or what it is, but I would at least warn you before reclining the seat in the unlikely event that I was going to do it. Oh, man. I I, I love this so much because, I mean, it's like, okay, first of all, the problem is actually innately with the plane itself. Just don't have it. Just don't have the option. Yep. Right. And you know, if you give if you give people the ability to to see something for themselves, and they they will. I mean, I can't I can't really blame people too much for that. It's you know, it's very much like I am having a bad time. Here is a very small dopamine hit. I'm going to take that. <laughs> right. And I, uh, you know, it, in actuality, I think you'll agree with this too. It's a it's a not a zero sum game. It's like a 
some negative game. You know, like it's it's pure loss. The amount of gain from you reclining your seat is smaller than my negative now of reclining of dealing with the reclining. So I reclined mine and I'm not back to square one yet. Oh, yeah. I'm still it, negative. It's weird. Yeah. You are 10% more comfortable and I am 50% more yes. uncomfortable. And that is such a messed up ratio. Like if you actually presented that fact to someone like literally I understand you are a little more comfortable. You just made my experience this much worse. People might stop and say actually yeah you're right. That's awful. Like, oh. And I think a lot of people that recline have been reclined on. I think it's like a domino effect sometimes. <laughs> Someone three rows in front of you reclines and everyone's like, well, I guess I got to recline too. And it goes back to like an exit row where you can't. And if you're in that row or something, then you're screwed because you can't even do anything about it. Right. Yeah. It's all that one person. You know, it's just really one person to fall. Not 20. Not the full domino as you're describing. It's just one. But oh, man, I can't. I can agree more with you. I mean, it's just the idea. Yeah, you got to have a laptop. These everyone has a laptop in those seats. And it's just... The reclining does nothing. It's it's better back posture. You know, you'll be happier if you don't recline. Okay, so great. I'm very happy. I know the one thing to not do uh, when I'm on a flight with DVR. This is actually on my checklist of like, hmm, I got to make sure I know the thing uh, when I'm on a flight with DVR. Now I know. I got it. Uh, but uh, but right. So you said in 2005 is when you joined RotoWire. Did you see yourself jumping into the realm of fantasy sports at the time? You know, I was always playing as a hobby, baseball and football especially. I always had teams in both year in and year out. And I think there was a day in college, I was taking a, like a communications, like a marketing class, and I was sitting in lecture, and I was bored one day. And it was early spring, before season started. I was sitting there with a spreadsheet open, and I was trying to make my own projections, which I still can't really do that well. Like I'm, I'm not bad at math, but I'm not good at building projections. Oh, I found projections a lot of people who are, are really hard. good at it. Those are uh, hard to make DVR. Let Ariel Cohen and, and Derek Cardi do the work, yeah, right? I mean, they exactly. do fantastic projections. So why yeah. why try to replicate what they're doing when you know they're doing it so well? Uh, at that time, though, my cocky 20-year-old brain thought, I could do this. I could make my own projections. I know what I'm doing. And it was also 2005. There weren't a lot of projections out there. Sure. And I remember there was a girl in my class who kind of leaned over during the lecture. She goes, hey, what class is that for? And I didn't really realize that saying oh this is for my fantasy baseball league was the <laughs> quickest path out of the conversation but i'm a very honest person i said this is for my fantasy baseball league and i never saw that girl again Aww. i never spoke to her again don't know anything about her, her. loss derek yeah i mean i i, was, I wasn't i think like, i was actually dating my wife around that time anyway so that's probably, <laughs> that's probably why i just didn't even think about what i, I just answered the question and but it's like that was the kind of focus that I had was I care about fantasy baseball more than this class I'm in. I want to win. Uh, I want to learn more about this game. And I, I didn't know it was going to be a career. I always thought it was going to be a hobby. I didn't think it could be a career because yeah, at right. that time I didn't know Rotowire even existed until I saw the posting on a cork board in the communications building oh, looking wow. for interns. I had never yeah. even heard of the company before. So other than seeing the occasional, you know, maybe the magazine, go to Walgreens or wherever and you see some fantasy magazines that come out like once a year or possibly seeing I think at the time on ESPN News they did weekly fantasy football segments in the fall uh, Brandon Funston at the time I think was working with ESPN he was on TV talking about fantasy and I thought that's amazing there's someone doing this full time for a job I never thought I could be one of those people right yeah that's 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 wild so like okay so so I I, I love trying to put piece together 
uh, I don't know, the, the mindset of Derek and how you get to where you are. So, so you kind of said that you were trying to be a, you know, go into journalism for ages mm-hmm. when you were, when you were young, eight, 10 or so, you know, we all have our different dreams and things that we want to be. I was always a dream guy of like, I'm going to play for the Yankees. I actually, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I've mentioned this before. Um, in, in third grade, I had a, to make a, uh, a timeline of my life. Right. And I had these little flashcards and you had to connect them with a piece of ribbon about like, okay, the different stages of your life. Right. And so I had like my first baseball game. I have this, this photo of me with a Louisville slugger bat. I'm like six years old or so, something like that. My first baseball team and everything in front of some fake stadium. Right. Uh, and I have that first baseball game go through. I, I apparently go to Arizona State University because I knew that was a school that played baseball. <laughs> right. And then then it's like gets drafted by the Yankees. And then I had a baseball card. And that baseball card is two things that are just I cannot believe eight year old Nick thought of one. It's the it's a duplicate of that first baseball card. But I drew a terrible mustache <laughs> over like my six year old self. <laughs> Just one black line or so, right? <laughs> totally believable. But on the back, I had my stats. I actually, you know, had made, I probably worked with my dad and made like a whole grid of my stats. And I think I played for 12 years. And one year, literally, I kid you not, at eight year old Nick was did not play due to injury. <laughs> what I'm dreaming of myself having a baseball career. I thought to myself, no, I'm going to get injured for one season and still make the Hall of Fame. Uh, man, so I was always, <laughs> I always had the idea that this was what my life was going to be. Um, and I mean, obviously not. Uh, you eventually hit that point. But I mean, for you, it sounds like journalism. Was it, uh, was it always that? Was it always writing? Was it playing baseball? Was it a different sport instead? I think when I was eight, I believed I was going to be a professional soccer player. And oh, when, yeah, soccer. When I, when I was eight, that was the last time I was ever on a field playing against anybody in anything where I was the fastest person on the field. Like mm, okay. I must have grown a little bit more than everybody else in in the grade or something, or maybe I just understood soccer a little better than everybody I was playing against that time, and then everyone else caught up and then passed me in the couple of years past right, that. Right, right. You know, I thought I was going to be a professional soccer player as an eight-year-old, and that was like. 1992 when MLS didn't even exist yet so I didn't even know what that looked like I probably just thought that meant oh you play for the crappy US national team which I didn't think was <laughs> crappy at the time I thought it was gonna be pretty awesome so yeah, there's a picture of me uh, you know if you, I don't know if they still do this but uh, my mom was really into crafts when I was a kid especially and there was always like a craft fair every summer and a carnival and some concerts and stuff in the town where I grew up I grew up in this town in West Michigan Muskegon Michigan it's not tiny but pretty small uh, anyway, so we go down there and there's uh, an artist drawing uh, caricatures of everybody that mm. wanted one. And I, I wanted to be on the U.S. national soccer team. So they drew me in the, the blue jersey with the white stars on it. The ones that like Alexi Lawless and that group all wore in sure, yeah. the 94 World Cup. I think that would have been. And there's still a picture of me with giant glasses and braces on my front two teeth. And I was a goofy kid. You could see how it all fell apart for me athletically, like really quickly after that <laughs> age eight season. Like I'm sure I, I probably did have stats at one point from those games where I looked back and game by game, here's what I did. Uh, probably scored 30 goals or something as an eight year old. Thought did. that was the best thing ever, but probably didn't score more than like five in the 10 years I played soccer after that. Right. It's just how it goes. I, I thought that's what I was going to be when I was that young. I think from high school on, I thought I was going to be an engineer. 
And then oh, I think really? math started to get really hard in college. Like beyond calculus, math, for the first time, I'm like, oh, this is right, right. We, we have we have more than a couple letters here. This is this is getting very <laughs> complex. So I pivoted from engineering to I, I thought law was maybe going to be what I was pursuing. So I was kind of down a little bit of a pre-law track. And I think some of those scripted debate shows that we were talking about earlier got me thinking about the possibility of just being a journalist because I'd see, you know, Chicago Tribune and uh, Denver Post and all all the different papers that were represented by those writers on the Around the Horn show. And I thought, okay, maybe I could be a writer. I could write about sports. Didn't think anything about fantasy sports and think of baseball specifically. Just thought that maybe that could be my job. And there were other ways to write about things. I, I got a job at the the Badger Herald, one of the two uh, college newspapers, the University of Wisconsin. And I was covering, I had the city beat. I wanted to be on sports. I was new. You got to be there for a couple semesters to get on sports because that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants to cover football and basketball. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, you know, if, if you get into sports before that, you get sports that maybe you're less interested in uh, prior to getting that opportunity. I was covering ordinances, you know, uh, new new. The new lock ordinance that went into effect that was impacting right, landlords right. across Madison. I had to write stories about that. Hmm. And I enjoyed the writing, but I definitely didn't enjoy local government. So that, that kind of told me, told me, okay, it's sports if I'm going to do writing or it's not writing at all. So I did kind of get a couple of nudges along the way that put me in a position to take that chance on that internship. But had wrote a wire, maybe said, yeah, we got enough interns right now. We're good. I have no idea what I was going to do next, what my next email was going to be or next phone call was going to be trying to get my first foot in the door coming out of college. It just seemed so important to get an internship my senior year to be positioned to get hired because in the mid-2000s, the job market was brutal. So it was, oh, it was yeah. a pretty bad time to be coming out of college, especially with what I would say is a, a, a good degree, but also a very generic degree. I mean, a communications mm-hmm. degree, you can... You could do anything with that, but it's not like being an engineer. It's not like one of those jobs that, or one of those degrees that absolutely lines you up for this certain sort of employment after college. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I was a psych major, and uh, I thought I was gonna go to grad school for seven, eight years after, and uh, I completely messed up. I didn't go to my college advisor. I should have. Um, <laughs> and I, well, it was one of those things where it wasn't like checked up on me, and I just it just kind of just kept going. Uh, so I didn't do the things you had to do, like go do a research internship or <laughs> something in the summer. So it got to be junior year and I realized, oh, wait, I'm not even set up for this. And I don't even know if I want to go to grad school for seven years or longer and be in debt. And then at the end of it, be in a situation where I don't even know if that that's what I want to do when I'm 30 or whatever. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to do something smart. I like computers. I'll be a computer science minor. And I did that for, for two years. I, I was doing all right. And then I hit, I think, a data structures class. And it was just, I could not wrap my head around it. I couldn't do this. It was That's like low-level coding and understanding <laughs> like what actually creates you know an OS and everything. And I was like, nope, cannot do that. And then I graduated. <laughs> and that was, you know, so I, I, I feel very fortunate. I had every advantage possible uh, in that situation to survive and, you know, not feel kind of you know i threw away this degree or anything along those lines i I certainly didn't uh it taught me you know being in college itself allowed me to develop as a person and understand what i enjoyed and meeting people and just kind of understanding life a lot better uh that i certainly carried over into the real world but yeah 
I mean, what I, I fell into all of this. Uh, it kind of sounds like in many ways you did too, but it, it, we're all lucky that you're here. Um, and <laughs> cool. I am, I am kind of curious about just. I mean, I like hearing the actual process. Look, you, it sounds like you took a flyer off of this corkboard, right? There's just like take one here, call the number, or send an email or something like that. Do you remember the application process? Do you remember who you talked to? Yeah, so there were two names uh, on the posting. They both still work at Rotowire. They're still friends of mine. Uh, Tim Schuler, who's the CFO of the company, but it, when the company was as small as it was when it started, I mean, he was, right, covering, yeah. he was covering the bills and editing player notes. And everyone does a lot of tasks at Rotowire. That's how it's always been. It's probably how mm-hmm. it will be for a long time. Uh, and Mike Doria, who is the day-to-day football editor. And I ended up talking to Doria first, and it was really more of just an interview than an application. It was more of the application was just send us your info and you know we'll get back to you. Right. Uh, and they gave me a call back. I had lunch with Doria at this. It's a little, it's a Vietnamese restaurant <laughs> in Madison. There aren't a lot of those here. And uh, yeah, it was just incredible. He was asking me for, I think, top 10 running backs off the top of my head, which I was nervous. So I I named about five. Uh, definitely forgot uh, an elite player at the time, maybe Sean Alexander or somebody who was like legitimately oh. an awesome player at the time, right? Just No idea of- who that is. So that sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. So I, I, I felt terrible. I'm like, I, I don't know if this went that well. And I, I think what I probably underestimated is that when you have a small business or any business and you have someone who's looking to get experience and willing to work for uh, very little or no money just to get that experience or to get college credit, uh, that's extremely valuable on the business's side. So as long as you're not a complete clown, there's probably room for you with an internship if you're willing to just put in time yeah. and, and just be helpful. And the, I think the, the phrase I hear a lot there is hungry, mm-hmm. right? And I think, uh, I don't know, in some ways, it, it, it seems like a negative to me. There's like this assumption of I, if you're hungry, which is a great thing, it means you're really ready to jump in, you're smart about it, you can figure things out on your own um, and take initiatives in the right way, not overstep, not be one of those that are just completely pests in this way, but actually be like, okay, I, I recognize what that is, I'm ready to do that, I can take the time to do that, have that energy, exactly what you're talking about. In other ways, it's kind of, every, I mean, yes, everyone wants someone that is hungry, right? I mean, you don't want someone that isn't, but there's this... Um, there's I feel weird about it. there's this kind of culture of you have to be hungry and have to be you have to be in that situation. I mean, I'm sure they felt so lucky that they found you. You were just like, hey, I'll whatever and I'll take less pay than normal and and do those things. It's uh, it's a tough balance because finding that hunger and uh, having those skills uh, without, you know, without getting like a full time position or stuff. It's a it's a very difficult thing to find. So, yeah, um, yeah, very I mean, lucky. I, I think we probably both understand that it it takes a certain amount of privilege and and support to be able to Absolutely. work for little or no money like you some people just cannot do that you you have right. to work to pay your bills you have to stay at a minimum wage job in college or after college or near minimum wage job you don't have the freedom time wise to invest that time in yourself or in a project that could open those doors for you and fortunately the timing worked out where I could, you know, I had roommates and I didn't have a lot of bills. So it just, you know, there's, there's a lot of luck in the story. Like I, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that work extremely hard that don't catch that first break or that series of breaks that gets them to the the job they want. I, I feel for people in, in that spot because I, that just as easily could have been me. Right. right. I, mean, I, I caught the right people on the right day. They treated me really well. They opened more doors for me. And I think 
when you know when you work with Jeff Erickson and Chris Liss and Peter Schenke, they know everybody. Like they've been they've been in the industry since 1997. Like they helped build it, right? That you think about the people that literally built a fantasy industry for for people like you and I to to have podcasts on and have websites on today and to write and talk and do all these things. If they hadn't done that at the beginning, if they hadn't broken those barriers for for all of us, things would look a lot different. Absolutely. And like for me and for a lot of other people. So I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, as the company changed, the industry changed a lot too, right? DFS came along along the way. Mm. Uh, I mentioned SiriusXM about five years after I started. DFS got big in the middle of that next decade. A lot of advertising money started to come in. Uh, the growth of just fantasy players and the demand for for fantasy content, I think, exploded. And I, I think I was very fortunate just timing-wise to find them when I did too because there were chances to become a full-time employee and to sort of move up in my responsibilities there. Yeah, so I uh, oh man, I want to there's a lot I want to pick in that uh, in, from there, but I uh, just to, just to put a pin on the whole hungry thing. Um there I, I would say if you're in a, if you're listening, you're in a position of this like, yeah, I want to jump into this. I am starving to do this and you feel as if you can't help and uh and and really soak in everything. Um, I would say personally, there are three elements. I'm just throwing out a number three and I think there are three, but I might change. I don't hold me to it. Um, the one is, I uh, really, really be as observant as you can, um, of just, there's one thing of doing work and there's another being doing good work as I've, I've mentioned before in this podcast, but really just make sure that you're, you're doing things the right way and emulate as you go. Um, if you are hungry, look at how other people do it and then try your best to replicate that. Um, and you'll find yourself understanding and grasping and failing and then picking yourself back up as you do that. Um, the second is really to be as respectful as you can. Uh, there's nothing more that we all love in the industry is that someone who wants to help and they want to and they're just doing it just so kind that you that we want to help you. You know, that's the situation you want. It's It's something that you can ask for help if you do it the right way and you, you respect their time and everything like that. And you will find so many hands reaching out to help you as long as you know they they like you you know they want to help you along with it um and yeah and the third is just seize the opportunities um i i've certainly i've certainly been given things that i do not want to do uh that i find myself as much as i can i will just be a yes man in this industry uh because there have been times when i thought oh, i don't want to I, 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 man, I just was hoping to have kind of that hour to myself or something. And I said, all right, you know what? I, I, let's go and do this. And I found myself having a fantastic time with them, meeting them and learning a lot more things. And you'll find that if you, you have that hunger and you're given a task and they look to you for something, do it and excel at it. It's the best of your ability and you will be rewarded. They will trust you with it and you'll get more of those opportunities. So those are the three things. If you have that ability and that privilege to do it, that is how you do it right um, which I think some people can lose, uh, uh, you know, among all of this. Um, is there anything else that you would actually add uh, to that? If, if someone jumping in and having that hunger, how they would apply themselves? You know, I think it's in some ways you can put too much pressure on yourself to be different. But mm. if if what you want to do is very specific, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're really interested in the fine details of the collective bargaining agreement. And you want to be an expert in that? There's room for that. There's room right. for people who want to be experts in sticky substances in baseball right now. I mean, in everything in between, like anything you can imagine. Like there's there's no focus that's too small to just get you out there 
as someone who's specializing. And that's, I think it's easier to get noticed if you do something different. If you, if you go into the fantasy industry and you think, I'm going to write about sleepers and busts for fantasy football. That's awesome. If that's what you want to do, do that. But realize that you are you're just going up to an ocean of content that is very, very similar. And you need right. to be you need to have something about you that is different, whether that's the way you write, the way you speak, the way you think about the problems that you're trying to solve. You have to have your own individual identity in the content if it's not already just different content on its own. Sure. And uh, I, I will say this. There is no um, shortage of reliable smart uh, uh kind people you know that if you're able to have a good conversation and and you know be on time and, and communicate well and it doesn't need to be the correct thing it doesn't need to be the prophetic thing but if it's a good thing you know there there is no shortage of that in this industry i mean sorry there is a shortage of that everywhere in every industry uh, and if you can be that reliable person uh, you would actually find that it's not necessarily about being, you know, the, the having the most ridiculous going deep article, or are uh, are finding, you know, the the right one sleeper or something. It's about just no. This guy puts out something that I trust, and I know that hey, if I'm, I need someone to host this thing or or write that piece. I know that I can trust them to do it right and be reliable and communicate it on time. All of that. Oh man, there's there's always going to be a shortage of that. So if, if you don't, yeah, there, there's that element. And then, of course, yeah, try and do something that is just not the most generic, bland thing ever. And you'll find your way in this 100%. Um, but anyway, to bring it to bring it back to, uh, to all the stuff you were talking about there. Uh, I mean, I say it all the time. I mean, I, Fast and I, we stand on the shoulders of giants here, uh, you know, showing up out of nowhere. And I remember Jeff Erickson talking to him about coaching. Uh, he, I believe he coaches his daughter's soccer team. Uh, at times and uh yeah man what a legend seriously like the, 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 you talking about how these guys have um just opened the door for us it, it's incredible and adapted with everything that we're doing now and I, I guess the question i've been asking myself a lot as i see you know i see you you're expanding more now you talked about sirius xm but also yeah as i mentioned you're doing youtube stuff and more podcasting where do you see this industry going in this way? I mean, what what is? It seems like it's sports betting and DFS because that's where all the money is. But I mean, what? Uh, I know it's a very tough question to answer because if we knew, then oh great, that's what we're all going to do, and it's going to be wonderful. But I mean, maybe a better question is where do you want it to go? I don't want it to only be those things or only the things that are about the money. I I, I like Absolutely. DFS enough to play it once in a while. I. I don't want to grind it every day. I I don't enjoy it quite that much. Like I, I I think some people do. Some people want to treat it like a job. Some people treat it as like going to the casino and playing poker, kind of on that level. I just like to once in a while when I've got the time, sit down, break down a slate, put a lineup into like a single entry entry tournament and just see if I can get it right that day. There's like a puzzle aspect to it. Sure. I, but I don't think that that is a game that has enough mainstream appeal for it to be the future of the industry as a whole. It can be a part of the industry for a long time. Sports betting can be a part of the industry. I don't think it's going to be the only thing that we're, we're talking about. I think there's there's a job that we all have to do as content creators, as, as providers, as whatever, whatever you do in the fantasy space right now, you have to think, 
how are we going to grow the pie? And by that, I mean, how are we going to make the game easier for people to pick up for the first time? So I think your somebody I know some of your experience playing fantasy baseball comes from smaller leagues, right? Like like eight, 10 team leagues. And for years earlier on in my in my career here in this fantasy space, there was always kind of this, I don't know, kind of snarky attitude towards people that played in in smaller leagues. And I think Sporer coined it league shaming. And he even admitted at one point, like he's done it. I know I used to do it to people where it's like, oh, eight team league, find more friends. Like what a ridiculous thing to say. Look, I'm going to I'm going to league shame right now. How dare you? I'm a 12 team guy, Derek. OK, <laughs> I've evolved. No, I'm 12 team joking, leagues. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think like, you go back in time and, and correct that one and go. Actually, it's totally cool to play in an eight team league. Why don't we have smaller leagues than that? Why don't we find right. new formats to play? Why don't we find easy ways to get people in? Maybe this season, like I like a 26 week season. I don't mind grinding fab every Sunday for eight teams, but that's not the average person. The average person who loves baseball doesn't even know that fantasy baseball exists yet. And this game's existed for about 40 years. And that seems like a problem to me. And the other thing that's funny about the league shaming thing is who do you think your readers and listeners are? Like, do you think they're generally the people that are playing in 15 team leagues for $1,800 entry fees? Like, like I appreciate those people. I've met, I've met the high stakes players. I've competed with them. They're fantastic players. A lot of them are good people. And a lot of them are consumers of our content, but they're a very, very small portion of the audience. And, that's not the only way to play like that. That's a that $1,800 is a lot of money to just about everybody. B, you can make a league that's one third that size if you get creative with it. I mean, I wonder why we don't have more home run derby leagues, just simple leagues that draft once a month. You could have four people in it and you draft any seven players you want to hit as many home runs as possible. Is that an inferior game? No, it's a different game. That's fantastic. Nicole Cahill, one of our writers, actually does that. Uh, she has a league uh, raising money for, uh, I believe it's uh, to, to help with the mental illness. And it's just we, it's just charity for that. And it's just, yeah, who can hit the most home runs? It's so great. It's wonderful. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a secret at, at this point anymore. I mean, it's not really a secret. It's just a dream I have. And people kind of ask, like, what do you want Pitcherless to be? And I, I mean, if I could sit down and say like, Nick, I can do it. You can do anything with what you want with Pitcherless. I want to make the Pitcherless fantasy platform so badly. I can't, I can't express it enough. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously that's like so far down the road and that's why I feel comfortable saying it. Cause who knows if that's going to happen or not. But um, just know that, yeah, listening to this podcast and supporting what we do, that's where it's going. Uh, because I mean, Huh. I feel so strongly that there's yeah the game itself has always been really tied to I mean for the most part it's been three thankfully Fantrax came in introduced more things too um, but really like Yahoo CBS and ESPN really have been the only providers for a very long time and there hasn't really changed you know it's just been the same thing every time I'm not trying to say negatively about them it's just that's what it is and and you listen to anyone going to those sites for the most part. I would imagine the listeners here, they go to those sites to play their leagues and then they leave to do other things. You know, uh, they go to fan graphs to, to look up a player and then go back, you know, or, or Savant or Rotowire or Athletic or Pitchlist or whatever. And just the idea that, yeah, you can have a fantasy baseball platform that does custom games that isn't just the standard one. I, I, I have to think 
you can create a, uh, a system that is you draft a team every month. As Because, like, what's the most fun part of fantasy baseball? It's the draft. Everyone knows this. Yep. You can have a league that is you draft on a monthly basis with your friends, and then whoever wins the most months at the end wins your league. I mean, there's so many ways to make us enjoy this game so much more. And we just, you know, we've we've gone to the extreme of daily fantasy. That's, like, the most... I mean, that's how everything is right now. How can we enjoy something with the least amount of time, you know, uh, that less least amount of commitment and most dopamine quick hit? I want to push the button and get the pellet, right? But, oh, man, I feel like there's got to be a middle ground at the very least to get more people into it. So that that's the dream here. The Pitchless Fantasy Baseball Platform coming in 2030. Can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be amazing, Derek. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just think about board games you play or card games you play. There are some very simple card games and board games you play that you enjoy just as much as the most complicated games you enjoy. Right. And you can you can enjoy them both equally. You might even play some games with some of your friends and different games with others. So you you, know, you got little kids in your family. You got kids that are 6, 8, 10 years old. You play, I don't know, Guess Who and Uno and different things with them. And you play something else with your grown-up friends like you can make that concept work in fantasy baseball. It's just going to take some creativity. And I realize the problem, though, when you're talking about big sites, the time it takes to develop a new game and to program a new game is significant if they don't feel like there's going to be a payoff in terms of oh, generating yeah. some revenue for it. So right. I understand part of the reason why we're in this sort of holding pattern, uh, but there, there's a huge opportunity out there. Because again, I, I just look at the number of people who love baseball and the number of people who love fantasy baseball, and one of those numbers is a lot bigger than the other one. What if we just ran a Kickstarter? <laughs> <laughs> what if it's like one giant Kickstarter? It's like, guys, we want to do this. We're gonna try and we're gonna have like a long time to like to raise the money. Like if we can hit it, we'll literally just put all of this into development and create it. I know it sounds like the stupidest idea I've ever had. I don't know. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, the other platforms would hate us, so that wouldn't be good. <laughs> uh, I don't want that. <laughs> well, All right. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a partnership opportunity there because yeah, I know, maybe there is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how I think about the NFBC and just the way they're structured and being available in sure, some states right. and different states, and get paid licensing fees. That's another deterrent to growing this game is the various costs involved with just operating a platform like that and that's a huge starting cost you have to have a great idea and you have to build it which takes time and money but then you also have to have money for stats and money for programmers oh, yeah. it, it adds up pretty quickly oh so 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 quickly oh yeah this is this is why guys 2030 is still the pipe dream so <laughs> you know it, it, it all has to start with an idea you know it has to has to start there and then actually putting the pieces together but you know, one day, Derek, just 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 one day, it will happen. All right, and I'll bring you back to uh, to to you and your story here. Uh, so here you are, at RotoWire. You eventually make it to the Athletic. Uh, talk to me about kind of like how you started, what you were doing, and just step by step, kind of how you grew in that company, and then eventually to the Athletic. Yeah. So over the course of the time I was at RotoWire, it was behind the scenes work, answering phones, answering customer emails, writing those little player updates that you've seen. Uh, all over the place. You see them on ESPN's platform. You've seen them on Yahoo's platform. You see them on RotoWire's site directly. 
uh, you know, I've done everything, managing depth charts, updating the closer grid, uh, almost every single tool on that site, especially for baseball, is one that I've probably worked on at some point. Uh, for me, I, 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 the, the radio opportunity, I was sort of the, the third person in the mix. Like It was definitely like Jeff and Chris as the two primary voices, but when they needed a day off, they needed somebody that could fill in. Um, so I was that guy. And once I got a taste of radio and started to develop a feel for it, I got a lot more confident with it and just felt like it was something that I, it wasn't hard for me to do it. After a few months or even the first year, I kind of got settled in. Podcasting got on my radar because I thought, well, I've only got to do radio once or twice a week because Jeff and Chris are here all the time. Like They're, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Let's get into this podcast space. Let's, let's take this and, and see what happens. And you know, we created a baseball show, the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We created the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, I think at one point we got up to about 11 different shows while I was there covering all different sports, you know, DFS-centric stuff, everything down to college football and hockey. And managing all that by the time I left and then still working on, on some of the SiriusXM shows, that was basically my full-time job as I progressed there. So I went from a lot of behind-the-scenes work uh, to some of the more prominent projects. I helped manage the fantasy baseball magazine process for the last probably five years or so that I worked there. I worked alongside Jeff, and you know, Clay Link kind of took that baton from me, and James Anderson's had a huge role in that for a long time now. And I like the big projects like that because it, it's easy when you work on day-to-day content to kind of feel like you're on a digital assembly line like if you cover breaking news, you're staring at Twitter and you're opening up a player notes box. You write the player oh, yeah. note, you go back to Twitter, you get the next one, and it just goes on and on and on. And every day feels kind of the same. When you build a draft kit or when you make a magazine that goes to print or you launch a new show, you have these real deadlines that you have to hit. And something about that's kind of exciting. Maybe that tapped into the old journalism desire that I have, hmm. right? Because in journalism, you're always chasing things down and trying to, to meet a deadline. So... Uh, those big projects were really probably my favorite thing about working at Rotowire, other than getting a chance to be on air and really kind of finding my voice there. Uh, and I decided to leave in early 2019. There was an opportunity at The Athletic. They were going to get into podcasting. Uh, I had kind of looked at Rotowire and, and just thought that, you know, the five guys that own the company had treated me so well over time. I didn't know what else I could do there. I felt like I, from just like a personal career growth standpoint, had ticked all the boxes for different tasks I could do. And I wanted to go to a place that had some non-fantasy outlets. And obviously, The Athletic right. is predominantly real sports. We also cover fantasy, and hopefully we cover it really well. But it was kind of the perfect fit for me where I was career-wise, where I wanted to see, can I get on a regular baseball podcast and just talk about baseball without a fantasy spin? Could I possibly get into some other sports over time as well and, and work with some new people and, and grow you know, my personal network? And I would say through two years, it, it's been everything I could hope it would be. And it's been great because you know, I'd left Rotowire on great terms. Those guys are some of my best friends in and outside of the industry. And you know, I, I couldn't be happier for everybody there who continues to get more and more opportunities to, to move up just the same way that I did while I was there. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't know what the next opportunity was going to be if it wasn't the athletic. I think there were a few few things that came up over the years that I had looked at and thought about, and none, none of them really made sense. They they didn't they didn't have the growth trajectory that I felt like I was getting by making the move when I did. 
Man, so uh, so what was that like when you got that? Was it an email from Eno? Is what I am assuming it was. <laughs> uh, so actually, I reached out to. I think I reached out to Nando first because I know he was the he was he's our editor over at the Athletic on the fantasy side. He and Brandon Funston are two editors for that department, and I just hit him up and just said, "Hey, you know what's going on at the Athletic? Is is it good? Yeah, I saw you guys are going to do some podcasting. Do you think it would be?" a good fit for me to, to come work with you guys. And he said, yeah, it's great. You know, reach out, uh, talk to this guy. So I applied and, it was, you know, someone pretty high up in the company, Sid, our VP of finance was helping to build the podcasting team and spoke to him. And they apparently knew a lot about the work that I had done, or at least were familiar with what I'd been doing at Rotowire. And I, I think Nando probably put in a good word for me. And it always helps. You talk about other people who could be, uh, the mayors of fantasy land, uh, Erickson, and Nando Defino, like they're, mm. they know everybody. They get along great with everybody, and it was uh, one of those things where I got the offer. Geez, it was the weekend I was in Arizona for labor in 2019. They called me up on a Friday evening and said, "Hey, we want to bring you in. Have you run our fantasy podcasting? We want you to host, produce everything you're doing right now, and just build build great shows with us." And uh, so, yeah, you know. I guess Eno was actually at labor. So I got to speak to him there and talk to him a little bit about it. And people were starting to guess even in like the little window from the time that I told people I was leaving Rotowire to when I could announce that I was going to the athletic. Like, Hey, are you going to host the podcast with Eno? And it was just weird. It's like seeing that uh, from listeners on Twitter. And I, I would just kind of hit the like button on the tweet and then just I couldn't really say anything. Cause it's, <laughs> it, it's like the, uh, the everlasting gobstopper machine. At least it was with the athletic, with all the new hires at the time that I was starting. Sure, it was like, yeah. you can't, don't say it until this date because they wanted just to make it kind of like your day, like your your party to, right. to welcome you to the company and have people be excited about the new platform that you were you were going to write for. So, yeah, I don't know if that if it was a coherent answer to your question, but um, that was very coherent. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was wonderful. Yeah, it Man. was just an opportunity to take what I was doing and, and build it kind of from scratch with a new group of people that I, I really liked and respected. And, and I'm just glad that I, I took the leap when I did. Well, I mean, you talked about how uh, you liked the non-assembly line, but also the deadlines instead really is what you grew to. And to me, that's that speaks to the uh, the creation aspect. It's about you have a project and you want to you have this time to make something new and do that. And that sounds like a lot of what drew you to that the athletic you get to go and build this new podcast uh i don't know i want to call it like a town a city <laughs> a uh a champion you are of it i i don't know something along those lines you get to actually create your utopia yeah. of podcasting uh and you've obviously done a fantastic job rates and barrels my god um, I still, I, I still feel like we cheated uh, fast than me. You gotta understand. I mean, we, we were, we were gonna lose that, and we we're like very happy, like good, wonderful rates and barrels, like <laughs> bow down and everything. And then someone cheated for us, and I like I, I was looking at it on my phone, and then I had just, you know, I think I was on the phone with like Yancey or something, and um, and I looked down, I was like, how are we winning now? Okay, we just got bots or something. What do I do? Like, <laughs> I don't want this. I want rates and barrels to win, and then so then we got to. Do a podcast with you. Oh my god, that was whew, that was that was up there. <laughs> Dream come true. I'm not. Even, I'm not even kidding. Um, one of the best best times I've had. I, uh, but, uh, but I, I do really want to mention. I mean, what you guys have done with rates and barrels is just fantastic. Um, excellent pairing you two uh, together. 
it's just it's it's done the right way uh is, is really the what i can say best you know both of you guys are you and Eno are just yeah you just talk about baseball and you're clearly passionate about it very knowledgeable and just you talk about it. it's not your part of the interruption or i uh, or, or all those hot take shows it's no 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 we, we don't need to do that we're just gonna talk about these things and we clearly care about it and we know what we're talking about and that's great i think that i think it's so wonderful so thanks for uh you know carrying the torch for all of us ahead uh for the field you guys do such a good job oh really appreciate that i mean you guys do phenomenal work i know that you no, listen no, no, to no, a ton no. of Don't pods. You see a ton of things. Like there, there are some people that just they just focus on what they're doing. I'm I tend to be one of those people. I don't see a lot of stuff outside of things that I'm working on directly, and I feel pretty bad about that because I know there's more good stuff out there than there ever has been. So I I, I will not go out and say that hey I I've dig this show, but I, I've really been listening for a long time. If I haven't, like and it, and me not listening to someone's show or me not reading someone's stuff is not at all me not thinking it's good. It's just not having oh, the yeah. time. Oh, yeah. You're, <laughs> There's a clear, clear difference. I hope people understand that. I think oh, most absolutely. people do. It's like, I would love to have 40 hours a week blocked <laughs> off to where I can go out and read everything and listen to everything and watch everything that's out there. Uh, someday, you know, if, if we ever... If we ever get so good at what we do where we can streamline down to like one awesome project, then we'll have that time to explore right. everything else that's out there. That's sort of that's the dream. Like is to oh, yeah. to build something that so many people enjoy that it it supports you. Like one project, one thing that you are very passionate about. It's great to have ten things you're pretty passionate about that you work on all the time, but if you could really get that focus down, like that's the best possible thing that could happen mm. like i we have a, a basketball podcast on our network no dunks and those guys have been together for well over a decade it's a basketball oh, wow. show and it's it's awesome i i just like listening to them once in a while just to kind of be inspired by how much you can grow a show over time and they were on nba tv for a while together their chemistry their rapport is phenomenal but they just have fun like you can tell there's an authenticity of people that are just having fun while they're at work and if you're having fun at work, the world has given you something that is just a tremendous gift. Like I, I don't remember my dad coming home from work as a kid and feeling like he had fun while he was there. Like that was never the vibe that I got right, from my dad right. after any day of work. I mean, there was the occasional like meeting where they'd get uh, fed a good meal or that'd be a concert or something like that. Sure. Those, those once a year trips are fun, but they dated the day to day, like the things that, that pay your bills throughout the year. If you're having fun doing that, even a little bit of fun, life's pretty good. Oh, definitely. And what, what would you say though? Right. I mean, I, I've certainly given this thought to myself about like, all right, Nick, over time, you cannot sustain the SP roundup from 11 AM to 1 AM every single night. And then waking up, at, you know, eight o'clock, to then be streaming from nine to eleven, and then during the day taking all these meetings, doing all this stuff, and it's just it just is not sustainable for forever. So at some point, yeah, I'm gonna have to condense this. I don't have an answer yet. <laughs> you know, there's a part of me that's kind of like I need to find the person to cover some of the SP roundups eventually because I can't. I just can't do it forever. 
So, uh, you know, I, I dream of like a reality TV show where I'm like, all right, to find the next SP Roundup, <laughs> which is so unbelievably conceited and terrible. And I'll never, of course, do that. But it's just such a funny idea to me where I get to judge how people write the SP Roundup. That's such a funny thing to me. It'd be but, fun, um, but it'd be a lot of work. Like oh, that's, right. that's another big project in and of itself. That sounds like, to, great. To make though. a shot oh. of it. Oh yeah, but we can do we can do that. That's fine. <laughs> Easy. Uh, but no, I mean, I think about like, all right, what is the thing that I would want to do? And if I had to, if I had to answer that, and I imagine it might be the same for you, is I would want to have just a show a day that is just me and Alex talking about pitching in baseball, and then that's like what we do. It's a, it's the pitcherless show. And it's about an hour and a half or so, something like that. It's just like, all right, this is what we do. It's on, you know, it's broadcast, everything like that. Um, and that's like the condensed thing that, that you do. But I mean, is that the same direction that you want to go with? Is it more spread out than that? And what do you envision for yourself? Like if, if I'm DVR and I think, okay, five, 10 years, like this is the thing that you want to be doing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one flagship show every day, an hour, two hours long, whatever the duration of the show is, I, I'm not fixated on that i just think it would be a relief to know that everything is revolving in your work world around one truly enjoyable great project like i think you're probably very similar to me in how you feel like you enjoy all those other things you do like i have this i the concern i have if i have a family someday i mean i've had a wife i've been married for 12 years now and my wife has known me ever since I worked as an intern at Rotowire. So the Sunday afternoon having to do fab has been part of our life forever. Like it's just oh, it's right. built yes. into our yeah. rhythms. Like it, it is understood right. Sunday mornings before football, uh, checking lineups, all that stuff. Like we're, we're fine with that, but it's just us and Hazel, our golden doodle. We don't have kids yet. If we have kids someday, I don't think I can work volume wise the same way that I work now. And I'm not trying to say, Hey, what was me? I work really hard. No, no, this isn't about that. There's a time management aspect to this. Yep. I just saw our friend Vlad Sedler wrote about this in a recent column. I got to oh, yeah. still, still want to read column. it, but I, I, he sent it to me and I got to read it. But I, I think that resonates with a lot more people than, than people are going to be willing to admit. I, I think we've all felt that way. And part of this could be some fallout from the pandemic, whether you do fantasy content, sports content, or you do something totally different. Like the way the last 15 months has changed our lives probably isn't fully measured yet and we're all going to have to figure out not how to get back to normal but just how to value our time in a way that best suits us going forward i think we realized that there were a lot of things we missed out on in the last year plus that we want to get back to doing again and i think for me and probably for a lot of people I lean into work because there wasn't much else I could do. Like I, I worked from home before the pandemic. It's easy to work more when you work from home because if you have downtime, your office is 50 feet away or less. Like yep. you can just drop right in, bang out a couple emails, sketch out a rundown for a show, you know, just work on little projects like that. And it, it, it starts to, if you break down your own barriers with the, the way you manage your time, your, your home life and your work life and your family life, if it all gets mixed together too much, I think that there's some bad things that can start to happen to you. So I'm trying to be as proactive as I can be now before I have even more things vying for my time to just make sure that I am good about taking care of the people around me, but also taking care of myself too. Oh man. Oh, 
it's uh, it's it's very very hard i remember right before the pandemic i actually had a uh i i finally i think that january said you know what i'm gonna get an office that is outside of my apartment i'm gonna i'm just gonna have this little i don't know nine by twelve room uh that is at something like a we work it's called the yard here uh and i had that for like three months and then the pandemic hit and that stopped and I will say there was something very refreshing about when I left that building, knowing that it was done. For the, and yes, this was out of season, so you know in season it's totally different. I can't really do that with a roundup and all. But even in the off season, I had lots of things. I mean, some ways you're busier in the off season than you are in season. At least you have a routine. You kind of know the ins and outs. While the off season is just kind of this ever long project, always like to just prepare for the next year. And having that separation is, it was refreshing. It was very nice to feel like I can walk home and I'm separate and everything else I do. I don't have that burden, that guilt that, oh, this is time that I could be spending on that other thing and I should be doing that instead, right? And that, yeah, that's, oof. That, that's, a, that's a very, very difficult question. I, I mean, I'm in a situation where I'm, I just turned 33. I, I, you know, this is what I do now is, is baseball stuff. I am. Um, I do not have a spouse. I do not have a kid. I don't even have a dog because I don't even trust <laughs> that I can, I can do that, that I can just, you know, at, at moments notice, be like, no, all right, I got to go. I got to, you know, I got to take out the dog and everything. Can't give the attention that I need for that. Right. Too much responsibility, which is so frustrating because I love dogs. Dogs are like the greatest <laughs> things ever, you know? And, uh, but yeah, the, the only reason this exists in the way that it does now is because of that. You know, if I if I had all these extra focuses, then, you know, then I wouldn't be toiling away from 11 to 1 in the morning and then at night and then I would be pushing it to the next morning, which means that I wouldn't do the Twitch stream in the morning. Right. So it's I uh, it's that, that kind of balance is, yeah, you got to you got to find it. And it's very hard. It's a very demanding industry. But hopefully we are coming out of this and recognizing, OK, we got to we got to accept some limits and uh you know, just say maybe we're not going to achieve absolutely everything and save every single penny. And that's okay. That's all right. It's fine. You're still doing great. And that's what's important. Um, now, when, when you say that you want to have that show too, right? That show that's an hour, an hour and a half every day. Is it just baseball for you? Or would it actually transition from, from baseball into football or basketball or even hockey? It'd be just baseball for me. Yes, Derek. Uh, I, yes. I, the I best still... sport. <laughs> I still enjoy fantasy football. <laughs> I, I reached a point with fantasy football a few years ago where fantasy football Twitter was driving me crazy. And I think fantasy baseball mm. Twitter's taken a turn for the ugly in the last year or so, too. It, again, probably for reasons that are external to what's actually happening on Twitter itself. I think people right, are yeah. snipping at each other and, and acting a certain way because of all these things that we don't talk about very well. Um, but that's a, another topic for another day but I, I i like the idea of focusing on one sport the sport that i love the most uh, and, and just doing that year round and obviously having the occasional real breaks vacations time off the season naturally has that where you get the after the playoffs before the next movement period starts get that seven day window where you could easily be away and other times around the holidays where it's easy to get away but i find that multi-sport coverage does not lend itself to taking actual prolonged periods of rest, or at least I am not good at putting myself away from a show 
while it's in season. I find that to be extremely difficult. Uh, I, I find that to, I also feel like it's a burden to the other people I work with if I'm gone. Hmm. Like if I if I say, hey, you know, I'm going on vacation for ten days, uh, it's in, in the middle of May. I'm taking the second half of May off. I'm going to go on a trip, going to Hawaii. Uh, you need to lead host the show while I'm gone and uh, find some subs to you know, fill your spot. Like you be me and go get someone else to be you, and I'll, I'll see you later. I got you, Derek. No problem. <laughs> you, you say the word, I'll be there. It, but see, what's funny is is like. <laughs> Everybody we get to help us out has their own stuff. So if they do right. more to help us or if we get someone from our newsroom even like it, I, I hate that psychological like weight that I put on myself. Of, I'm I'm hassling someone else when I'm gone. It's like we, we no reclining your seat in the plane. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I'm, I'm thinking about how much extra work everyone else is going to have to do if I'm not doing work. It's a very right. unhealthy thing. Like I need yeah. to get through that and get past that. Um, but I do think. Focusing on one sport would be huge. I, I'm I'm lucky that I only focus on two. <laughs> there are plenty of people that cannot do that. They've got three plus. They have to do everything to keep their sights alive. Uh, and I think for you, you've never really liked fantasy football, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I understand the appeal of fantasy football. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, you, you have a thing every single week. I enjoy like the Sunday. It's like, okay, I'm monitoring all these things. I get to root for different players. I care about the other games that... What I, I totally get it, and it's very easy to feel confident in it, too, because, I mean, it's fancy football. Who knows what's going to happen? But you were right about this thing, and I'm winning this week. I'm really good at this, you know? <laughs> I, I totally get it. it. It makes sense. But, yeah, it's not the I, – I, look, I'm also spoiled in the fact that, like, baseball contains pitching, which is the greatest thing ever. And there's so much intrigue and fun, and just once you understand the – uh, the the what the pitcher's trying to do and the 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 spectrum of different skills you can have you know it, it, it reminds me of I don't know um any sort of like show where there are multiple ways of trying to do the same thing you're going to have a cast of characters all trying to achieve the same success or get the woman or whatever it is right like but that's kind of pitching to me where you can throw really hard or you can make this ball move this way or you can pair that with this thing or you can do that or you can go sidearm. And there's so many ways of achieving the same goal and no one quite does it the same as someone else. They all have their faults. They all have their problems, their consistencies, their their moments of bliss and their disasters. And every moment is its own chance again for success. It's so amazing. And then there's just hitting who's, again, cardboard cutouts, whatever. Who cares? I'm lucky I just get to talk about the one specific thing inside of baseball itself when it comes to specialization. So I understand, I mean, I understand the one thing that you focus on. Mm, I'm all for it, Derek. Absolutely. So hitter list comes out in 2040. <laughs> we have a hitter list. We have the top 150. John Messler <laughs> does such a good job with it every single Wednesday. Uh, he gets, you know, he doesn't get enough love for it. It's like, it's, it's so much harder than hitter than pitchers. It's like you have to rank hitters across different positions, across very different types of skill sets. It makes no sense. And he does it such a, so well. It's impossible. Uh, it doesn't get enough love for it. So hitter list exists. I'm, gonna, I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> but we do, we do QB list. Fortunately, I have Eric Smith, who does an amazing job running, running that site. Uh, they do a wonderful job in the fall. This is actually going to be the, I think, fifth year of QB list. So fortunately, I've got a great team for that. I don't focus on it. I go on one podcast a year. I play in their staff league. I've made the finals before, nice. which I think speaks to the sport, not the staff. 
it just speaks to fantasy football. I should not be in the finals for fantasy football. I will do my research. I will not just like throw it away. You know, I, I, I like to play more ignorant than I actually am because if I'm involved in something, I'll, I'll care about it, but I should not be winning. I should not be even close to be winning. So yeah, that's, that's my stance on fantasy football. Sorry. That was a, that was a long winded answer, <laughs> but uh, I mean, are you, I mean, with the athletic, are you going to be doing fantasy football this, this, uh, this fall? Yeah, so okay. I'll be a part of uh, probably a part of the Sunday live stream again. We did a, a pre like pre kickoff show last year. It's about ninety minutes long, and I think for football, what what I've realized is I I know enough to be a lead host. I know enough to dig in and prepare a rundown and ask the right questions, which is is fine. But I don't feel like I'm a good analyst in fantasy football anymore. I don't like to be in the analyst position. When I'm in the analyst position for football, I am out of place. At least I feel out of place. Maybe I can convince people and make it sound like I know more than I do. If that's the case, I guess I'm sort of doing the job I'm asked to do. But I also don't want to be in that position. I don't want to be cast as an expert when I'm not. I don't, I don't like that at all. So if it's necessary to lead host a lot of shows outside of baseball, that's totally fine. Because again, I have enough of an interest in it. I enjoy watching it. I, the thing I like about fantasy football is the segments uh, being contained within a couple of days. Like you get that result, and it's not immediate gratification, but it's close, right? It starts Thursday, it ends by Monday night, and you have some closure on how you did for that week, and then you repeat the cycle a few times. And the season's just the right length for that kind of game for me. Like mm-hmm. it does bridge the gap really well from kind of the end of baseball season into the beginning for some people of the next draft prep season for baseball. But I'm also the kind of person who's already prepping for the next baseball season before the final pitch of the current season happens. Like I'm right. Yeah. I'm already thinking about 2022 in the second half of September. I do this draft every year with Todd Zola where I think we start, I think it's the Sunday before the season ends. We start drafting for the next season. It's one of the earliest drafts out there. And I love it because there's no group think there's no, there are no projections yet. We don't know right. exactly where guys are going to play. And some people say, well, how can you draft not knowing where guys are going to play? Stuff changes throughout the winter anyway. There's more of an edge if you can get ahead and, and have a, a good sense for what teams are likely to do in the offseason and where players are likely to go. And if you've done your homework already or you've, you've found a way to evaluate players quickly coming out of a season. So I, I, I like unique challenges like that. And being able to focus on baseball year-round is, is a dream. And I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's totally out of reach. It's probably not happening this year, but it, it may be by 2022 or 2023. That could be a reality. That's the only way to go, Derek. Oh, man. I mean, we do the, yeah, we did the uh, a staff mock draft in October while the playoffs are going on. And then uh, we have in the past, we didn't do this past year because it was just too weird with 2020, but we have done the the experts uh, appeal mock, uh, which I, which you, of course, have participated in. And uh, that's always a lot of fun because, right, it's the, the there's the, um, uh, the two early mocks, uh, Justin Mason does a great job hosting those. Uh, and those are great, but those are also 15 teamers. And I'm all about 12 teamers. That's, you know, that's the majority of players for the most part. So uh, we wanted to establish an ADP from our staff mocks, which are about four or so of those. And then also having another three or four of expert mocks. And then Shazam, there's eight. That's kind of good. That's not so bad to get a general understanding. There are some ridiculous outlandish picks and people don't get drafted. That, I mean, Of course, it's, you know, we're all just trying to figure it out. 
Uh, but uh, but though that's a way to go through it. Then of course then we have the the podcast covering those, and it's a good way of doing the analysis and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden it's PL seven, and I go, oh my god, how did we get here? <laughs> so uh, it, it's possible, Derek. I know that. Um, I, I know as far as you know, we mentioned it before. Sadly, there you know, money is a thing here. This is how we these things happen. Is we can afford it. Is has to be a business that works. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the listenership and the viewership in December is the same as it is in March or in, in June or May or whatever. There, it, it is a massive drop um, and brings on the necessity of fancy football. But there is, I feel like there's some, there is a way, there's a way to make it work. And, and we can certainly do that. Um, but Derek, I've, I've taken so much of your time. I have one last question that I ask uh, everyone here. And I think it's a good way of just getting a sense of you. It's, um, do you have a mantra or just a, just a saying or something that you uh, you feel, I don't know, it, it, it's internal to you about how you go about life. Uh, do you, yeah, do you have that mantra? You know, I guess it's similar to my thoughts on reclining your airplane seat, <laughs> but care about other people like not yeah the people in your life but other people in your community like I, I it's so it's so important to do that and and think about people who don't have a seat at the table or whose voices are not heard and think about how you if you have a platform could improve the lives of those people or what you can do to help everybody around you i, I think it's it's just lost in our world in so many instances. And I know we've all, we all have our own problems and issues and things we're trying to deal with. So it can be easy to be like very self-focused. I'm as guilty as anyone of going through stretches like that, but just care about other people around you. It will make the world better for everybody else in it. Oh man, Derek. Ah, such a wonderful answer. Of course. I mean, I, I could not agree more. Uh, ah, it just, uh, obviously, that's it. Of course, it's Derek, Derek Van Riper. That's that's it absolutely his mantra. You you, you listen. We, everybody listens to you. We uh, we we read your stuff, uh, and yeah, it doesn't surprise me that's your mantra in the slightest. Uh, no reclining chairs, everybody listening. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it at home. That's fine. But when it impacts other people, then that's just not not the way to go. But anyway, thank you so much, DVR, for being a part of this. And before we go, tell everybody where to find you, where to find all your stuff. You know, just just everything that you're doing. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. Uh, because of all the negativity around uh, fantasy baseball Twitter, I'm not always getting involved in the arguments, but I do share the the work that I, I do, the articles I write, the podcasts I host on there. You know, rates and barrels, like you mentioned, the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. Uh, we do a new show, Fantasy Baseball in 15. I'm on that one day a week. It's uh, that's an Al Melchior or Michael Beller production for the most part, but uh, definitely a good quick hitter in the morning to get you going. Uh, you know everything we do though on the twitter feed and and the athletic.com is uh where all my work goes these days which is pretty great i mean i I think it's it's awesome to be a part of a team that big that talented the people i grew up reading and looking up to are are colleagues now and just being being part of a subscription where people could subscribe to them and just happen to get me that's an honor like you know it's like you, you love jason stark growing up great Go, go pay for Jason Stark. You happen to get the stuff I do, too. That's perfectly fine with me. Oh, that's awesome. And I actually remember you were very kind to, to let me uh, jump onto Fantasy in 15 once. And I got to say, being in the same podcast with you and Beller is just like, I just am thinking about my voice and how high it is <laughs> uh, compared to you two. It's, it's startling. Uh, but anyway, obviously, follow DVR and all his work at The Athletic and on Twitter. 
Um, but that's going to do it for today. Enjoy the episode next week. Uh, and we'll talk to you then.